Welcome to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and convention coverage, hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. Helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other listeners, find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube pages, support our Podbean crowdfunding campaign, and much more. Star Wars Action News, covering the whole galaxy of Star Wars toys. This is Arnie, and we are back from San Diego Comic-Con. It was a crazy trip. We have joining us as a special co-host this episode, Daryl, our video editor, and it was his first Comic-Con. Hello, hello. Good to be back. I had a great time and hope to talk a lot about it. So since this was your first time, we popped your San Diego Comic-Con cherry on this one. You've done a lot of conventions. Tell listeners like your convention history before San Diego. Uh, I've been to pretty much every celebration except for the first one, uh, including the foreign ones. Uh, New York Comic Con, Wizard World Chicago, C2E2, um, lots of smaller cons, uh, other Wizard Worlds that have held Lexington or Louisville, uh, St. Louis one year, just different ones like that. So a lot of little smaller toy cons and stuff like that. So I've been to quite a few. And you named some big ones in there. Celebrations have been huge lately. New York Comic Con, arguably the biggest convention in the country, or San Diego, depending on which statistics they choose to use. C2E2 is a big con. But San Diego is considered the biggest one. It's the it's mecca for geeks. So how did it live up to your expectations going in? I think uh, talking to you guys and some other friends that have gone, I was pretty well prepared for it. Uh, I was actually surprised to me the actual convention center, although I had been by it before when I had been to San Diego, I'd never been in it. So the actual convention floor to me was actually a little smaller than I was anticipating. But the sheer fact that they have so much going on at other close by hotels and they use, you know, uh, empty vacant, you know, corner shops for some of the companies that'll rent out a an art studio or just a, a vacant uh, business to set up, you know, all their wares and stuff like that. So just the entirety of the entire San Diego area around the convention center is taken up. And that that is truly what makes it seem so large. Yeah, and that is a change from even when we started going. This was our 12th year consecutive of San Diego. And we'd heard them complain a decade ago that they didn't have enough space, but they weren't in the other hotels like they are now. And we were thinking how crazy that is that they didn't feel there was enough space, but now they had markings all over the sidewalks to the various hotels. It does appear, I'm looking it up, San Diego is the 10th largest convention center in the country, but it just isn't big enough for this. Anaheim is bigger. Phoenix is bigger. Of course, number one and number two, McCormick Place Chicago is number two, and Orange County Convention Center is number one in Florida. Yeah, but when you think of those those large ones like that, like I know McCormick Place, even though it's large, it is so spread out with like four different complete 
separate areas that you have to go to. And the same with uh, Orange County there in Orlando. There's kind of when we go for celebrations, they use that. I think it's the West Building. And then they have kind of the I think it's called the North Building or something like that, where they don't even go in there. And it's almost the exact same size as the West Building. Yeah, they could definitely use more space in if those conventions grew to need it. I remember one year C2E2 was the same weekend at McCormick as this major auto show, and they had the space there in the different buildings for both. They Neither of those shows come close to using it up. I mean, New York Comic Con uses every inch of Javits, which is going to be a problem this year because Javits is under construction, but Javits isn't in the top 10 of the country either. You pointed out the size of the show floor, which I've always thought of as huge. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a convention with a larger show floor, but what you pointed out is it's very long, but it is kind of narrow. It doesn't go all that deep. It can still take a good 10 minutes to traverse it with the crowds, but it only goes maybe four or five booths deep in the bigger booths or maybe 20 in the smaller yeah, and the, the crowds, although they are big, um, I don't know if it's with the RFID chips, you know, if that is helping keeping down on the counterfeiting and not getting as many people on the floor. But yes, it is busy to get through there, especially at certain certain companies or certain times when they have autograph signings and things like that. But for the most part, the crowds aren't any bigger to me than, you know, a lot of the other major conventions. If you go to C2E2 on the Saturday or, you know, New York Comic Con on on Friday or Saturday or Sunday, they seem to be about the same as far as, you know, getting pressed by a crowd. It, it's it's not a, you're not shoulder to shoulder every single moment of the con. Well, actually, San Diego has gotten better since they infl- implemented RFID because this is only the second year for RFID. Prior to the RFID, Saturday was just, you just couldn't go out onto the floor because it was worse than shoulder to shoulder you just had to kind of go where the crowd of people took you but since they implemented rfid it has greatly cut down on the counterfeits and the crowds and it's actually manageable saturday i was out on the convention floor yeah i thought that too i was just thinking back to saturday and we did quite a bit on saturday and the crowds were thick but they weren't crushing the way they had been in years past. And I know there was a big story this year about counterfeit wristbands for Hall H. I do think that there were a lot of counterfeit badges in years past. And the RFID, not only is it RFID, but Justin, who was there with us, his badge got flagged for whatever reason. He doesn't know if he tagged out and tapped back in too soon or if he didn't tap out successfully, but he couldn't get back in. And then you have to go to the RFID station and show ID to show you are who the name on your badge is. And so this also cuts down scalping. I mean, even if you have a legitimate badge, if yours gets randomly locked out, then if you bought a badge off the street, you can't get back in. If you got a badge to share with a friend, maybe they can't get back in. Well, they were doing something the first year of RFID. I got hassled after I'd already tapped in and I was walking to the floor door where the guy wanted to see my badge and he wanted to make sure that my gender matched my name on my badge. Now, I have a pretty girly name. I, I feel that was a little unnecessary. That one, 
We know that there are communication issues with various security people. We found out this year that it's because there's different security firms that do that. But last year, they seemed pretty awkward with the RFID. Remember certain nights they told us we couldn't tap out? Like, Mm -hmm. do not tap out and then tap in the night before, and we were not sure how that would be. This year, though, they had RFID issue stations set up, and they didn't have the big badge pickup areas that they used to have. So I think that a few growing pains year one have really smoothed out in year two, but I think it has reduced greatly the amount of traffic in the convention center. I'd say the worst traffic now is in the gas lamp, trying to walk through there. That is a mess. And a lot of people complained that they had trouble getting in on Thursday because the line to tap in was so long. Well, it seems to me that people, everyone funneled through the same door. And if you just walk to the next set of doors, you could tap in really easily. So if you weren't a lemming, it worked out really well. Because I mean, we showed up, we strolled in just as the floor was opening, tapped in, and we were there and ready to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never had any issue with uh, any of the RFID stations. Uh, The only other time I've seen that was last year at New York Comic Con, and it seemed like it was a real hassle there. Uh, They had, rather than having these stations, they had people with kind of a handheld iPad or something, you know, a a laptop type thing that were scanning everyone in. This was just kind of a, I don't know, a a floor scanner that you just walked up, and it was kind of like a box that you held your thing up there and your badge up there, and it clicked on a green light, never had a problem. Um, you were talking about that pinch point, you know, uh, everybody trying to go through the, the one door. I think that was because it was spread out to those other hotels and people would go over there. And then, you know, you want to go into the first available door that's available as you come back. And that's when, you know, everybody tries to go in or everybody comes in off of the, uh, the trolley. And that creates a giant backup when everybody all at once gets off in a mass transit area. Yeah, the trolley was absolutely crazy a couple of days and just a complete slam to the point that we were like, forget it, we're just Ubering, the trolley is not doable. So as far as Star Wars content goes and the presenters there, I mean, of all the conventions you've listed, maybe Celebration had close to the number of Star Wars manufacturers in attendance, but what was it that you enjoyed seeing at your first time at the con? For me, my most enjoyable thing was just that first-time con experience of San Diego. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get into Hall H the first day to see the Kingsman panel. As far as Star Wars goes, um, they did not really have a major panel there. They had done that at D23 Expo the week before, uh, which I did go to that as well. But the, the Star Wars vendors on the floor... Um, it was entertaining to see the Hasbro line and see how that all worked out. And, uh, unfortunately I wasn't able to get as many, uh, help out as many friends with some of the the items that they wanted at the Hasbro booth. Just, they were checking name badges and actually checking your ID to your name on your badge, uh, and only allowing two. So you couldn't go back through and things like that. It was neat to see some of those smaller vendors that I don't get to see too much beast kingdom and three a, Uh, I've seen them at places before, but not in such a presence that they had here. Never seen like Entertainment Earth at a show before, so that was new. They had the the Commander Grief six-inch figure there. For the most part, it was pretty comparable to the major cons I'd been to. Diamond was there, Diamond Distributors, Kotobukiya, seen all those guys before. So it was, on the Star Wars front, it was about the same as I had seen at other major cons. 
Um, some of the smaller vendors um, that I'm trying to think of that had Star Wars, I can't really think of too much that I haven't seen elsewhere. Uh, it, to me, it's more that they have the major push of getting those major brands like Warner Brothers, Fox Entertainment, things like that, that can really draw big names in to, to have those meet and greets with people. So what kind of things did you buy? I mean, we went, I went in thinking it was going to be a lighter year, and mostly, as far as Star Wars was, <laughs> it was a lighter year. I got the Hasbro stuff, thanks to some tenacious working on the line, and Marjorie lucked out with a Funko ticket, so we got those pops, or some of them. Some were sold out before you ever made it up front. Well, and that's the thing, is people are like, oh, well, Funko, if you got a ticket, you're good. no. Everything is limited per day. So just because you get in the line doesn't mean you got everything. A lot of the stuff I was picking up, I wasn't able to get. However, you are able to get a lot of the exclusives online after the fact, which is kind of nice. So what about you, Daryl? What was your shopping like? Uh, my shopping was very thin. You know, going back, thinking now to what they did have on the floor, I completely escaped my mind, but I completely forgot about the entire Star Wars pavilion. So, yes, there is a lot of Star Wars there to be seen. Um, <laughs> so they had, you know, Hallmark was in that area. Um, Tops was in that area. Her Universe. They had some new people with some little kitty ride-on land speeders and stuff like that. Um, the big Jacks figures and stuff like that. I didn't purchase any of those things, but there was a lot of Star Wars there. Me personally, Star Wars, I did for a friend pick up the Hasbro Grand Admiral Thrawn, the Luke and Ray two pack, the Land Speeder. As far as from vendors go, that is pretty much all I bought from actual companies. Walking the floor, just some of those minor places, I bought some card backs, but it was really, really kind of a light, uh, light shopping trip for me. It was more just about the experience of going to San Diego Comic-Con this time. Yeah, I did end up picking up for the first year. I got in the Mattel line and got the Thai Silencer. And I think, didn't you get one of those off me? I got, they had a limit three and I picked some up for friends. Yes, you had extras. So I did get one off of you the last day there. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. You know, it's other than the Luke and... Ray 2-pack, which I really consider to be more Episode 7 figures. I understand they're wearing those outfits also in Episode 8. But the TIE Silencer is our first new thing from Episode 8. Yeah, and kind of walking the floor there, one time when I did stop by um, the Beast Kingdom booth, they did have one of the new uh, Last Jedi Stormtrooper outfits that I kind of posted and was kind of surprised that that was the first thing. And Nobody had really, you know, kind of shown it out there or whatever. But yeah, that TIE silencer is that, I think that's like Kylo's ship or something like that as well. It says Kylo Ren's TIE silencer, so I assume so. He lost that shuttle from the last movie and now he's flying a TIE. Yep. But not a lot of Star Wars was being displayed. I mean, we went through with Kodo, we went through with Hasbro, and everything's pretty tied down. Well, the pavilion, I think, had the most reveals, the Lucasfilm pavilion. And they, just so you guys know, I mean, they always do, like, this big, like, multiple booth setup. It's kind of like a little bazaar kind of thing. And, you know, it's where you'll find Hallmark and FX has a booth there and things like that. So they did have some reveals. I know you talked about the little land speeder. It's like a red flyer wagon. So it looks like a land speeder for your kids. So you can pull them there. I also ran across a company. And at first I'm like, oh, these are really cool. They're tables shaped like the Falcon or shaped like the Death Star. And they can do coffee tables, dining room tables, whatever you want, like 
side tables. We need a new kitchen table. Well, I started to look at it. First of all, it's a decal they put over like a particle board and then shellac it so that it gets the high gloss finish. But then I noticed that they had acrylic drips all around the bottom. And I asked the lady about it. And she goes, yeah, sometimes that happens. I'm like, oh. That kind of took it all out of me for that, too. They also had motorcycle helmets, which were a new thing. And I did see somebody in San Diego who could have used one. He was just wearing a motorcycle helmet with a Hasbro Stormtrooper mask on the front. I don't know how he could see anything. But yeah, they had some new stuff there. And then Nixon, which does the watches, did have their $2,500 Boba Fett watch on display there. You could also buy it there, but I don't think anybody did. I did take detailed photos of it as it will be the only time in my life I ever see it. Honestly, I'm not opposed to 2500 for a watch, but it better deliver my text messages. It doesn't. I know, Spoiler. that's the problem. It's a dumb watch. Yeah. Now, we've talked about that Lucasfilm Pavilion for years and how it really has transformed. Hasbro used to be in it. The Star Wars fan club used to be in it selling exclusive figures. And to me... I didn't spend a lot of time in the Lucasfilm Pavilion. I did go to Delray to get Inferno Squad, and this is the first year we weren't able to get the Hallmark ornaments, but they always repeat them at Comic-Con. But Daryl, what was your impression of the Lucasfilm Pavilion as a first-timer compared to, like, Celebration? I liked it. It did keep all of the Star Wars items right there, you know, easy for the the Star Wars fan to get to, so you're not having to jump aisles just to, to find another vendor. Uh, like you said, it had some unique items with those those uh, motorcycle helmets, uh, the radio flyer. They had they had the Petco in there, uh, different things like that. So that was unique. Uh, I guess from years past, I was maybe expecting a little bit more from that pavilion, um, but it was interesting to walk around. They had a kind of a, a photo op area that Lucasfilm itself had set up that you could go in and kind of have your picture taken with some of the the outfits from from the last jedi and stuff but it was interesting that they kept all those things in that area it wasn't somewhere that i necessarily shopped at for my own personal reasons it's just most of the stuff is not stuff that i collect in a normal way anyway because it's got like pet smart and doing yoda ears and it had her universe with a lot of clothing it just isn't collectible so much as fan items that display your fandom but less collect your fandom unless you are like duncan and he keeps one of every shirt ever printed you know i did buy a shirt from her universe and i'm really disappointed in it if i could just say that because they finally came out with like some cool designs that weren't ahsoka or other things they they did some vintage stuff and they did a really cool like ringer tank top with empire strikes back so i got it that shirt and it's not supposed to be like this. It's so thin, I have to wear a tank top underneath of it. It's just, it's not, for, I paid like 45 bucks for it. It's not worth $45 on the quality of the t-shirt. And it's killing me that I bought it. One of the exclusives that I did have to get in the Lucasfilm Pavilion, and I want to give a shout out to our friend Tim who helped me with this preview night. I was worried because at Celebration, the Delray convention exclusive copy of Thrawn was the hard-to-get item. Almost all of them were gone the first day, the first morning. So they started doing a wristbanding system for Inferno Squad with the special printing they did for San Diego. And so I had Tim go over there, and he picked it up for me. Turned out, most people either didn't know or didn't care. Now, I don't know if it's because it's San Diego, and thus every fandom is there, 
it's not Star Wars concentrated, or if it's because it's not a Zon book, or if it's because it's not a Thrawn book. But Barrett, one of our video editors, was able to walk up around three o'clock in the afternoon and they'd given him a wristband. And then I walked up at four o'clock on Friday and they said, oh, we just gave away our last wristband. So these were pretty plentiful if you went sometime during the day. They were doing 300 a day. It could be that they didn't have a little exclusive pin that you got when you purchased the book as well. Oh, yeah, that could very well be it, that they had that silly pin that for the pin trading uh-huh. thing with the Thrawn book. There's still people trying to obtain that Thrawn pin and the pins they missed out on. It's insane. Yeah, and that's why I made it such a priority is I wanted the pin and I felt the pin would go away. I didn't think the book would sell out, though. I was never worried about the book and I guess I should have been. Yeah, I think those pins now are going for like $150, $200 each. Oh, what? Yep. Wow. <laughs> for just that one single pin. Not the set, just that one pin. Wow. <laughs> you know, everybody collects different things, but I'm really wondering how much I like that pin now. <laughs> I wanted the pin because I'm a big Thrawn fan. I was so happy to get the Thrawn pop and everything, but I'm not a huge pin collector. So, wow, that is something I will be considering. <laughs> but yeah, they didn't do that. They didn't have anything like that here at San Diego. It felt Star Wars light as it often does on a celebration year. I also think that it was a little bit light because Hascon is just a few weeks away as of this recording, and they've got to keep some stuff back for their own convention, I think. Yeah, we went to the panel for the for Hasbro Star Wars, and it just, yes, they announced some stuff, but it, it still felt like they were holding a lot back. I don't know if it is for Hascon, if it is for New York Comic Con, or if it's still just a, a Disney mandate, Lucasfilm mandate, that they can't really show anything from The Last Jedi yet. But it just seemed like, it, it, compared to years past, there just wasn't as much revealed in that panel. It seems because of the movies, as long as they are doing December movie releases. And isn't the Han Solo movie supposed to come out in May? Yes. So maybe that's this is the last year of it and they're switching to May releases. But as long as they're doing these winter releases, I don't think we're going to be hearing a whole lot of new news at San Diego because it's just it's poorly timed. I mean, they are really holding back. We are. Just a few weeks away, about four weeks away from Force Friday 2, compared to Rogue Friday, which wasn't a Force Friday. <laughs> that was just a Friday. It was a regular old day. So they didn't give us too many reveals for Episode 8. I was excited by some of the reveals they did have for the 6-inch line and for the vintage collection that that's coming back. They had enough to get me excited, but it was all pretty much 2018 product. Well, I'm surprised, you know, they do have exclusives for Hascon, which we expected. We thought they'd be shared exclusives. I think that's kind of what everyone thought. They said shared exclusives in the press release. Yeah. So the fact that they dropped the Captain Rex on Hasbro Pulse after Comic-Con instead of announcing that Comic-Con, that would have been a great Comic-Con reveal. Yeah. And I I wonder why they didn't use that, but that would have been nice to have. But, I mean, the thing that got me really excited was the do-back. That was really cool. Yeah. But the Star Wars panels themselves seemed a little bit weaker this year. The collectibles panel, the 
publishing panel, there just weren't many reveals at all there. So that was a little bit lackluster for me compared to previous Comic-Cons. The floor, it was always fun to see the type of things, but there was no Star Wars panel this year. There was D23. Now, Daryl, you did D23 as well. Can you tell us how that went and how the Star Wars levels at the two conventions compared? Well, the the main part of the D23 regarding Star Wars was the fact that they were kind of unveiling their scale model for the Disneyland and Walt Disney World Galaxy's Edge, as it's now called, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, the entire land that is going to be devoted to the Star Wars universe. Uh, There's going to be a Millennium Falcon ride and a First Order ride. And just the entire area is themed around Star Wars. So that was the majority of it that Star Wars related that they had. Now, they did have some vendors there. They had a uh, Del Rey book panel or just a, an overall publishing panel that was maybe 15 minutes long. Not a question and answer. It was just kind of a quick run through, kind of revealing the same stuff that we saw next week at San Diego. But those were really the only things they had in a larger panel itself that is kind of all the disney live action stuff they had a section on upcoming lucasfilm projects but it wasn't lucasfilm projects it was basically just kind of a where they released the sizzle reel for the uh last jedi uh it's not really a trailer it's just kind of a behind the scenes peek um they talked nothing about han solo uh kathleen kennedy wasn't there she was actually over helping out with the han solo movie so there was no news on that just kind of a brief uh brief part dealing with the last jedi i wasn't actually able to get in that panel so i didn't see it firsthand just kind of had to go on what they released online and what people talked about later i did make it into the disney parks panel where they did talk about the Star Wars land and coming to California. They said the California one is going to open first. That is scheduled for 2019 to open. Uh, I imagine it's just going to be maybe a month or two difference uh, for them opening um, the California one first. Um, I don't know if it's going to coincide with the celebration or anything. They haven't announced that or anything, but it was mainly having to do with the Disney parks presence of Star Wars in it was the main Star Wars tie-in to D23 this year. How excited did that make you? How big of a Disney park goer are you? Oh, I'm a huge, I'm, I'm a season pass holder for Walt Disney World. So uh, season pass down there, Disney Vacation Club uh, member. So I go a couple times a year. So I am looking forward to that very, very much. Uh, I know a lot of people have said, you know, it's not the right timeline. They'd rather have, you know, kind of a a known galaxy or a known planet to go off of. It's just kind of something made up for this park, but I am completely happy with it. It looks very impressive. Uh, the small details that kind of seem to be trickling out here and there seem to be very cool. And, and I know there's a lot of hidden behind the stuff that will come out once the park opens these, these expansions, but I'm very excited for these parts. And that's one of the big reasons that I decided to go to D23 this year. And that's a big deal. You live in Indiana for people who don't know. And I say that because people who live in Orlando or who live in the Los Angeles area or San Diego area having season passes is not a big deal. It's, you know, a day drive and you go in. Somebody from Indiana having a season pass, that means you're booking hotels and flights and doing that enough where it makes it worth it to you to have the season pass instead of just buy the tickets when you go. 
it did help that Celebration was down there this past year. So I used it quite a bit then. That was actually when I purchased it. And I know I, I usually go down. They have a food and wine festival that I enjoy going to in October. And then I'll probably go once more again in the spring before my pass runs out. So I usually, like I said, two or three times a year. And it kind of makes it worth it sometimes to me. I kind of value out on if it's going to be worth getting the season pass that year or just doing day passes or whatever. But so far this year, it's worked out. Now, Having gone to celebrations and doing your first turn at D23, and we are now facing the reality that D23 might be something we might have to add to the rotation. What are your feelings about the D23 just as a whole, as a convention? I mean, is it something that you want to go and spend every single day there or just go for the panels? Is there a lot of shopping? They're very similar to Celebration in that if you are a Disney fan, there is... You know, if you at Celebration, if you're a Star Wars fan, you're going to be able to look at everything there. With D23, if you're a Disney fan and like everything Disney, you're going to be able to spend three days there and have no problem. The if you're just a fan of something else and it's part of Disney, maybe not so much. Uh, Marvel was there itself. Marvel, not only the Marvel films, but they had a presence there, bringing in some. Uh, some video games, uh, some of the creators from Marvel, different things like that. So that is a presence as well. It is held in the same – it was at the Anaheim Convention Center where the last celebration out in Anaheim was before Orlando. Um, they kind of structure it a little bit different. They had some issues with some people getting in, some long, long backups, not necessarily through security, but just they want to get everyone into the building that got there first and be – know a respectable queue and sometimes that didn't work out whereas at san diego they have several different entrances that you can get into the facility at this was basically you're going through this one entrance and you're going to wait your turn until everybody else that was here before you goes in first so they did have some issues with that but overall uh, had a good time um, plenty to see there last day sunday is a little bit light there wasn't as much to do the major panels are over by then if you're not into Disney animation, if you're not into that sort of stuff, it may be not be worth the time. Yeah, they haven't had any exclusives there other than Funko that I've really had to kick myself over. And then, like Marjorie said, so many of them are shared with websites that I was able to pick up a couple of them that way. And talking to Gus Lopez and some others who are just there... Mostly, I guess I should say, for the Star Wars. I know Gus's wife has a Lilo and Stitch collection, but he said that he often would just get in and out in one day. But one thing he told me is previous years, you could just walk into whatever panels you wanted. This year, it seems like the news I read coming out of E23 was the shock about the lines like this was the first year the star wars and the marvel people showed up with their comic-con ethic their san diego comic-con ethic of we're gonna sleep outside for days to get in this panel and people who had been going to d23 every time were being turned away and had never experienced that before yeah they kind of the same way that san diego comic-con has their hall h uh they have the hall d23 um, and basically it, it's seats about, uh, I think they said between seven and 7,500 people in that hall. And rather than, like we said, rather than splitting up to be a specific one hour time limit of, of the Lucasfilm and one hour time limit of Marvel and, you know, one hour for this and one hour for that, that the other major conventions do, 
they hold that entire block of live action together. Everything that's live action coming out from Disney is in that one two and a half hour block time for that one panel. So if you're a fan of one of those but don't want to see the others, you have to sit through that entire panel and you have to line up with everyone else that wants to get in for whatever reasons they want to. The same with you know any animation you want to go to. It's like a two and a half hour block for that animation panel. So they only have one or two major panels each day. And if you don't get in to that, then basically you wait in line for the second one that might be happening that day and hope you like it or whatever. Um, the smaller side panels that they have in some of the other buildings, most of those, yes, you can just walk into without queuing up too much. But the, the major panel there um, for the Disney Legends, which that was another kind of Star Wars related one this year because they did induct Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher into the Disney Legends, kind of their walk of fame type of thing for Disney uh, on the first day. Unfortunately, I flew in kind of at that time and was not able to get into that panel. But uh, so that was another Star Wars relation. But if you want to go to that main hall, it is definitely, you know, you're standing in line for a few hours to try and get in there. I think the the live action panel on Saturday morning uh, was at, I, th- I want to say it started at 11 that morning. They capped the line for it at five, around 5 a.m. that morning uh, for no one able. They would kind of do a wristband system there. No one after 5 a.m. got a wristband to get into that room. Which doesn't seem that crazy compared to Hall H, which they capped you know, almost a day before. Yeah, like 9 o'clock the night before. If you're not in line there, you're probably not getting in on most days. But I I think that what happens, it sounds like, is that people who are used to going to celebrations and Comic-Con brought that kind of game, and perhaps people were unprepared for that. Because I did see a lot of angry posts from people who had been going to D23 for years, and they couldn't get into stuff this year, and they were angry. And I think that's a convention. I think the difference, the reason you saw some of the angry posts, I read some of them too, is Disney is known for their magical customer experience. And now, I don't know exactly where that comes from. I know they have fast passes, but my memory of going to Disney World as a kid in the late 80s was always very long lines to get on a ride. You know, you wait an hour to ride five minutes, but the fast passes have helped with that scenario, but there's still excessive lines for so many of the rides that I think of that as more the norm, but yeah, it's what I consider the normal convention type thing finally hitting the Disney crowd. What I'm curious is, if Disney is trying to keep that level of service that people expect, how they can fix what no other convention has been able to fix, which is the problem of overnight lines and crowds and queuing. Other than random ticket drawings, I don't know how you'd get around it. Yeah, it just seems to be, you know, kind of a the common problem that is going on now and no one has found a solution to it. Did you buy much at D23? Was there much in the way of exclusives? Uh, the exclusives, as you said, Funko was there, but it was kind of odd. Funko had a booth set up, but they did not sell their exclusives there. They were doing kind of their Disney subscription box out of that booth. The the Funko items that they had there, which were the uh, Dorbs um, Cantina 3-pack, which I picked up for you. They had the Dorbs Rides, they're called, which was a Han on a Tauntaun. It's kind of a new series they're coming out with. 
Uh, and then they had a few other Disney-related items. Those were actually sold in one of the big stores that they have on the floor. If you kind of if you're familiar with the celebration, kind of how they have a celebration store, they have a Disney store set up there, but they actually have three different ones, uh, all dealing with different things. So you and they don't really tell you which ones are where and where to get certain things at. So it's just kind of a, a mystery hunt, scavenger hunt to get into the certain stores. But it seems like most of their exclusives were in the proper Disney store store. Um, the Han and Tauntaun, they said, sold out the first day. Uh, I did not get into that store until Saturday, uh, so I never actually got to see that that figure uh, from Funko. Um, they did quite a few of their – they had some two-packs of their Elite Series figures, kind of the, the larger size Elite Series. I don't think those sold very well. They still had those, as far as I know, on the last day. Um, they also had kind of a Jumbo 7-pack or something of the – Stormtroopers, uh, with I think one of them might have been new, but it was basically repacks on everything else. That didn't seem to be selling very well. Just it's such a large box, uh, pretty expensive with the price point. By the time you're figuring about twenty dollars for seven of them, so I think it was I think it was around the hundred forty hundred fifty dollar price point for that pack. The I did pick up uh, over by where they had the the display for the Disney for the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge Land. They had kind of some. Uh, special t-shirts uh, galaxy is coming or something like that there's kind of a, a few star wars related t-shirts and things like that that you were able to buy they had you know uh, portable stainless steel drink bottle and t-shirts different things like that all went along with that they did have the r5 uh, d23 i think uh, exclusive figure that i picked up for several friends uh, it's kind of you know kind of in the build of droid type um, vein, but it's exclusive to that con. So I picked up a lot of things for other people. It seemed like that was tend to be <laughs> who I was shopping for on this trip. Uh, picked up a few things for me. One of the nicest things, one of my favorite things that I picked up was actually they had about 20 just regular vendor people, not necessarily with a company or whatever, just, you know, those regular booths that you go to at most of the cons. Uh, and they had one of the Star Wars 10 year anniversary from back in uh, 1987 buttons that I picked up for like six bucks and stuff. And so that was kind of my favorite thing that I picked up at D23. So would you return to either of those cons? Uh, I enjoyed my time at D23. Uh, it was very fortunate that it was the same week as uh, the weekend before San Diego Comic-Con. So living in Indiana, it gave me a chance to kind of go out there and hit both of them. Uh, it will depend on D23 on what they are have coming up on if I go back to that and the time of year it happens and what else I have going on for San Diego Comic Con definitely that that was a, a great experience had a great time with you and Arnie or and Marjorie uh, great time roomed with Justin from Marvelicious Toys got to hang out with several other guys Baron was there Larry and Perry got to see them uh, some other people I knew but never could you know kind of connect up with but uh, had a great time you know hanging out with everyone that seems to be my con experience anymore is not so much shopping, but just the experience and seeing everyone. So yeah, San Diego Comic-Con is a, a definite return trip for me. And for those of you who weren't able to make it to San Diego Comic-Con, Hasbro's PR company has said the Star Wars Comic-Con exclusives will be on Hasbro Toy Shop in September, not August 14th. There's going to be the other exclusives like magic and transformers and marvel they actually went up once already by accident it seems and then got pulled down a couple hours later 
and they're going to be probably back on the 14th. But the Star Wars stuff, you have to wait till after Hascon, probably to try to do Captain Rex at the same time would be my guess. Possibly, yes. But before we close out our conversation with Daryl, we'll be back in a second. But Inferno Squad was one of the collectibles I really wanted at San Diego Comic-Con. It came out during San Diego Comic-Con. I know the book is collectible, but is it any good? Here with a review of that book by Christy Golden is Brock. This is Brock, Star Wars Action News Book Club liaison with a spoiler-free as possible review of Star Wars Battlefront II Inferno Squad by Christy Golden. Review copy courtesy of Delray Books and Delray Audio. The Empire is reeling from the events leading up to and the destruction of the Death Star, and the Empire decides to take action. They form an elite group called Inferno Squad, and their mission is to go deep undercover and infiltrate the remains of the partisan group once led by Saw Gerrera, calling themselves the Dreamers. The Dreamers' strikes against the Empire are becoming more destructive and troublesome, and Inferno Squad is tasked with finding out how they're getting their intel, how they are getting their supplies, and destroy the group from within. Once inside the cell, they meet a secretive man called the Mentor, and they realize they must uncover his secret as well. Will Inferno Squad succeed in destroying this partisan cell? Who is this mysterious Mentor, and what does he have to hide? Will the members of Inferno Squad all make it out of this mission alive? All these questions are answered and more in Star Wars Battlefront 2 Inferno Squad. As you can tell from the title, Star Wars Battlefront 2 Inferno Squad is the latest video game tie-in novel, a companion piece to the upcoming highly anticipated game Battlefront 2. When reading the first Battlefront novel, Twilight Company by Alexander Freed, you got a real sense of how what you were reading could translate into the game franchise. While reading Inferno Squad, I didn't get that at all. In case you're wondering how it does tie in, though, the new game's single-player campaign mode will allow players to play as an Imperial, the character Iden Versio, who is the protagonist of this novel. And Inferno Squad members appearing here in the book are also in the game. Structurally, Battlefront 2 Inferno Squad, like many of the more recent Star Wars novels, stays away from the multiple storylines going on at once aspect that was prevalent in the first six movies of the saga and many of the Legends books, and as it's a tie-in novel to a video game, that makes plenty of sense, as that mirrors a campaign mode of a video game. But even in Battlefront Twilight Company, we had flashbacks to add some character depth and mystery. We don't have any of that here. Star Wars Battlefront II Inferno Squad is the Imperial story equivalent of the group of rebel spies we followed in Rogue One. And frankly, that's a great idea. The Imperial angle, the lead characters being loyal Empire agents, is the big difference of this novel compared to many we've read previously in Star Wars EU. Sure, we've had the recent novels Lords of the Sith, Tarkin, and Thrawn as part of the new canon, but those books revolve around some pretty big guns in the Empire. Inferno Squad is an all-new set of characters, trained elite soldiers turned spies, who are assembled as, quote, a cleaner crew to find and retrieve people, intelligence, or items that have fallen into the wrong hands or are against the Empire. This team is straight out of a Michael Crichton novel. Each member of this purposely assembled team has a unique skill set they bring to the table. The missions the team go on in the book, especially the first two missions, are reminiscent of the kinds you see in a Mission Impossible movie. And you'll see what I mean when you read the book. We have seen assembled crews in books and movies for years, even in Star Wars. Heck, we've had a similar thing in the recent Star Wars Aftermath novel series. But the angle of them being Imperial agents, 
works marvelously. The book opens with Aiden Versio witnessing firsthand the destruction of the Death Star. She is in a TIE fighter when the Death Star blows up. And I love this. I hadn't read about the destruction of the Death Star from that point of view before. Aiden crash lands on Yavin 4. Shout out to the 1995 Young Jedi Knights novel Heirs to the Force. And I was convinced the whole book would be about how she survives in the jungle, does the splinter cell, Metal Gear Solid, sneaking around stuff, and tries to escape the moon. It's a video game tie-in novel after all, right? But I was thankfully wrong. I was so wrong that we don't even read the adventure of how she gets off the moon. It's all explained away rather quickly when she gets back with the Imperials. Spies infiltrating the enemy is a plot we're all familiar with. There isn't much new here in story, plot, or characters. I didn't find a strong underlying thematic element woven through the narrative, wasn't getting layered subtext. What we do have is a well-told story. The author moves fast to get her characters on their main mission. The pace was quick, the story straightforward. And while I can't say I was ever surprised, and I was waiting for a twist that never came, I found I wanted to keep reading. I got hooked on seeing how this would play out. And I have to say the audiobook presentation is terrific. This story and the characters as written adapted well with the audio format. The reader Janina Gavankar does a great job with narration and character voices, and the production, as always, is top-notch, with the music and sound effects adding so much. Ms. Golding gets in plenty of Star Wars aspects in this tale with the military, stormtroopers, the atmosphere, aliens, and firefights, then I got my dose of Star Wars without wishing for the missing aspects like the Force or space battles. A couple of notable standout moments for the author I want to mention. There's a smile-inducing parallel to Inferno Squad's role as, quote, cleaners near the very end of the book, and a quiet scene in a cave full of crystals and water and bioluminescence. That scene was described so well I could see it clear as day in my mind. It was just beautiful. Throughout her Star Wars writing career, Christy Golden has shown us how adept she is at writing strong female characters. The two female leads here, the standout characters of this book, are the aforementioned Aiden Versio and Sen Marana. Their characters are fleshed out, multi-layered, emotionally present, and always interesting to read. Part of what hooked me with Aiden and Sen is they believe in the Empire. They have drunk that Kool-Aid to the last drop. And most importantly, they are smart, capable, and dangerous. They aren't cartoonishly evil or foolish, foppish Imperial moths. They are realistic soldiers, spies, for the other side we don't usually have protagonists on. They're a strong counterpoint to Jyn Erso. The other two members of Inferno Squad, Gideon Hask and Del Miko, come across just as capable as Aiden and Sen, but read almost interchangeably to me. I didn't get enough unique character beats or enough of a difference between them to care about either. I didn't dislike them, I wasn't given all that much to like, frankly. Of the other characters in the book, the dreamer Pico, a sickly Chandra fan, is likable, but most of the other dreamers I didn't get too connected with either. They sort of felt like the characters of the week on a TV episode of, say, like Quantum Leap or Castle or The A-Team. At times, you can't shake the TV show feel with how the story plays out and the M.O. of Inferno Squad. I mentioned in my plot synopsis there's a mystery of the identity of the Mentor, one of the dreamers. And that mystery has a satisfying conclusion. Those of you who watch the Clone Wars cartoon may be able to piece it together. The recent young adult Rogue One novel, Rebel Rising, by Beth Revis, actually provides a faint clue as well, but I'll be honest, I didn't figure it out. 
No more details on that, but I want to say this is the right sort of correlation to make to already established situations and characters. This is stronger, realistic connective tissue within the new Star Wars canon. This one doesn't feel contrived or far-fetched or that's trying too hard. Actually, quite the opposite. It feels completely appropriate. Lastly, I'm a big fan of the now Legends, Rogue Squadron, and Wraith Squadron series of books, which Inferno Squad is also reminiscent of. With those book series, both authors Michael Stackpole and Aaron Alston knew they had multiple books to set up plot threads, character development, and higher stakes. I bring this up because I could see Inferno Squad really taking off as a Star Wars book series. Yes, the characters were created for and tied to a video game, but there is so much potential for this to be an enjoyable Star Wars novel series in its own right, especially if Ms. Golden is given a contract for a trilogy to work with. The epilogue ends like they're getting ready for a sequel, but who knows, we'll see. Star Wars Battlefront II Inferno Squad has some nice flourishes and adds a fun element to a Star Wars tale by having us follow loyal undercover Imperial agents doing their job. Oftentimes feeling familiar with many tropes of the genre present, I would have preferred some additional deeper characterizations and plot beats. But the author has created an accessible, enjoyable, light read that I think most Star Wars fans, not just the regular EU readers, but even the occasional Star Wars novel reader, can enjoy. Star Wars Battlefront II Inferno Squad is not a trailblazing Star Wars novel, but it goes down easy for a quick Star Wars fix. For Star Wars Action News and the Star Wars Action News Book Club, this is Brock. Now back to Arnie and Marjorie. Thank you, Brock. Now, one last bit of news has come out. You know, we mentioned there wasn't much news at San Diego Comic-Con, but it looks like there's been quite a few leaks of Last Jedi figures in the at least the three and three quarter inch line that Hasbro's not doing a very good job or Disney. I mean, we've been on the receiving end of their cease and desist, but these seem to be perpetuating. Honestly, uh, uh, and let me just say the reason we are not posting those is because I've already been through that with the Disney legal team, and I don't want to do that again. It was very hard. Justin got banned from Facebook. I was on the phone for about a week straight, and we could jeopardize our relationship with Hasbro and their PR team also, as well as Disney, and we don't want to do that. So we will not repost those. You can go look at them other places who may not be too worried about that yeah and i know that some stuff's hitting stores already the raftar and the probe droids already showed up at kmart according to yak face but but that's i think an accident because i'm guaranteeing that was supposed to be held for force friday yeah i'm thinking that the stuff for force friday is probably going to start showing up pretty soon we're just a few weeks away they've got to get it into the warehouses and it doesn't take much for a stock person to miss the do not put out until dates. They work at Kmart. They don't care. They they just, they're going out of business anyway, so. That's true. <laughs> they're tearing one of ours down right now. Actually, it's going to be a liquor store. So, win for us. Well, I'll be waiting. I'll be going out Force Friday and doing quite a bit of shopping and not ordering them online. Right now, there is an auction coming out of Williamsburg, Virginia. Action figure deals is going to cut you a great deal. They'll sell you the 11 first wave of three and three quarter inch figures starting bids $500. Oh, you can just wait. Don't bid on that. Don't encourage that. I'm not. I know, but I'm saying if anyone else, just don't do it. Hey, it's free shipping. Oh, well, there you go. 
That is a bargain. <laughs> I know we'll get something big, right? Isn't that what Hasbro does for a movie? Either a Bluetooth ATACT or a TIE Fighter or a Millennium Falcon. I'm expecting something big, but we will be covering more as we build up to Force Friday. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter as we get new information. We post it immediately then. And Daryl, thank you for joining us, not just on this show, but in San Diego. It was a lot of fun to hang out with you. Yes, uh, same here. Thanks for helping me get into San Diego and being my guides around this massive con and showing me the ropes. I had a wonderful time. Like I said, it was great to see everyone else that was out there. Look forward to seeing you guys in a couple weeks at uh, Wizard World. And then uh, we'll hit the, uh, the Force Friday. Sounds great. So we'll talk to you then. And may the pegs be stocked and the Force be with you. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find pictures of the toys reviewed, chat with other Star Wars collectors, and find hundreds of Star Wars Action News episodes at our website, SWActionNews.com. This podcast is created by Star Wars fans showing their love of Star Wars. We rely on listener support to keep the show going. You can pledge to our Podbean fundraising campaign by going to SWActionNews.com slash support. Backers get rewards including exclusive video content, early show releases, and more. You can also help out our show by telling your friends to listen by posting on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or in person. We would also greatly appreciate a five-star review written on iTunes. A link to our iTunes feed is at SWActionNews.com. We want your feedback on Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at SWActionNews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at SWActionNews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can also find Star Wars Action News on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. The links to our social media sites are at SWActionNews.com. You can also send us your latest store reports, figure reviews, and more. Email us an MP3 or iPhone voice memo at show at SWActionNews.com. All content received is subject for use on the show. If you also enjoy Marvel Comics, you can hear Arnie and Marjorie talk about the toys and statues based on Marvel Comics characters on the Marvelicious Toys podcast at MarveliciousToys.com. Star Wars Action News is always looking for new people to help with the show. You can find a list of skills we need on our blog at VenganzaMedia.com. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, edited, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. Video editing by Barrett, Andrew, and Daryl. Website design by Jason. Graphic design by Jay. Photo editing by Scott and Curtis. Announcements by Brock. Segments created by Andrew, Brock, Daryl, Jerry, Jonathan, Nathan, and Steve. For more Star Wars collecting, check out GalacticHunter.com, JediDefender.com, JediTempleArchives.com, and YakFace.com. And we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. 
Star Wars, and all that the Star Wars universe contains is trademark and copyright Lucasfilm Limited, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company. All rights reserved. Star Wars Action News is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. <laughs>